everyday issues have been politicized. You know, even some movies get politicized. And so that makes politics a very prominent part of Gen Zers' lives. It's no longer a case of, you know, um, international relations and economic policy and, you know, these high, um, difficult to understand intellectual issues. It's like, oh, is the new Captain Marvel movie really that bad? Or are people just anti-feminist? So, you know, it's, it's, Sort of brought this discussion about politics into everyday topics that make politics very relevant and push people to vote more. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we welcome our youngest guest ever on the GovComs podcast, Anya Dua, a native of Brooklyn who now lives in Miami, Florida is just 15 years old, and she is the founder and president of the Gen Z Identity Lab, which is an online platform created to foster conversation among young people about the ever-changing world in which we live. The numerous topics that the Gen Z Identity Lab uh, covers include culture, politics, climate, as well as many important social issues. And really, it's about giving a platform and a voice to this rising generation. The platform's mission is to educate the adult population on what those in Generation Z care about and why they care about it. Between school and running the lab, Anya has appeared in the New York Times and Forbes, sharing her views on an array of political and social issues that the world faces. And she's determined to change how the media views her generation And she works hard to educate, inspire and empower her peers. And I have to say that she has assembled a really impressive team and I'd encourage everybody uh, to go and uh, just Google Generation Z Identity Lab and it's a very impressive platform with a very impressive advisory board, uh, but better than that, a really impressive young team. Anya also recently appeared as a guest on the 2020 GovComs Festival, and I'm very thankful for her for doing that, but she joins me today all the way from Miami, Florida. Anya, welcome to GovComs. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be back. Now, listen, let's clear something up before we get started. In your uh, passions, you say that Australia is one of your passions. Where where has that come from? Or is that just for us? Is that just for me? <laughs> no, it's not. My dad is actually Australian. He grew up in Armadale and he went to Sydney University and I've gone to Australia every year um, since I was little. I'm sad that I can't get back now because of the travel restrictions, but I want to live in Sydney when I'm older. <laughs> okay. So you are Australian in, in many ways and you've been here yes. what for, for every year of your 15 yes. years? I'm a citizen, but I don't have the accent. I wish I did. (laughs) And what just for what does your dad do? He is a consultant, actually, at McKinsey. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, well, we uh, look forward to welcoming you one day um, to Canberra, Australia, uh, hopefully when you're, when you're next here. And, and interesting, yeah. um, my wife was actually born uh, not far from Armidale as oh, well. Oh, really? So, uh, and my cousin owns one of the pubs there. But anyway, we, we won't go into all of that. 
Hey, listen, so um, where did this come from? Where did this idea come from? Where, when did you first think that there was a need for a place for these conversations to take place? Yeah, so it really started when I was in eighth grade. Um, my class at, in New York City was very politically involved. We had many political clubs, discussion clubs, and it was sort of coming right off the 2016 elections. So there was a lot of division um, in the country at that time. And I sort of realized that I felt unable to develop my own ideas without judgment at my school. I think the concept that politics are extremely nuanced is no longer taught in institutions. Everything is represented as black and white. And while Gen Zers are tolerant of differing religions, differing sexual identities, and differing gender identities, um, I don't think we're quite tolerant of different views. And in my opinion, a society that doesn't have diversity of thought and doesn't have the freedom to express those thoughts without, you know, fear of retaliation is a society that doesn't have a lot of hope for development and unity. And I think that Gen Z has so much potential in terms of the fact that we are very passionate about many different social issues. But I think that if we don't channel that passion correctly, it'll be very difficult to create a better future because we don't have a good way to approach our differences right now. Okay, so once that was the motivation, so mm-hmm. what was the next steps then? So once you started down this path of understanding that this idea of a platform would be the best way to do it, how, how did you start to think about how you were going to have those conversations? Because that's often the difficult part, isn't it? You're trying to yeah. bring people together in a respectful way such that diversity of opinion can be respected and people can perhaps understand different points of view. Yeah, definitely. I think that... Um, a lot of it came from my passion of research. I think that a lot of times research is confined to, um, you know, areas of almost intellectual elitism and it's not very accessible to the general population. And I think that research and data really just holds a lot of power. And currently I don't see it being utilized to, you know, create accessible social Um, awareness campaigns. And I specifically want to target those social awareness campaigns towards adults, adults in positions of power. Um, That's why I was so excited when GovComs reached out to me about speaking at um, the festival, because really what I want to do is reach adults, reach people in power with our message and with Gen Z's real views so that adults don't have to make generalizations about what we care about. You know, there's the classic um, sort of stereotype about millennials that they are lazy and like avocado toast, right? Just an example. Um, But I really hope that Gen Z isn't put into boxes in the way that millennials have been because we are so diverse and extremely nuanced. And to just reduce us to, you know, a social activist generation or always on technology, I think takes away a lot of the potential of understanding both in terms of the government side Um, the marketing side with business and how we interact with each other. So I started looking at research through um, SurveyMonkey and different platforms and developing um, specific strategies that I use to conduct the surveys, write the surveys and field the surveys. And um, that's really what I've been developing over the past couple of months. What were the biggest uh, topics that you're addressing at the moment around this, you know, research and, and data? Yeah. That, you, that you think are the most important conversations really to be had, but to, to ground those conversations in evidence and data. 
So um, in the past, I have been conducting surveys about the coronavirus and about um, climate change. I actually conducted a survey in Australia um, right after the Australian wildfires happened in January and February. And I was specifically asking about what Australians, uh, Gen Z Australians think about climate change in light of the government's handling of the wildfires. So I, I definitely like doing hot topics like that, that um, are very of the moment, but actually looking forward, what I want to do is focus on less of the moment um, topics and broader topics. So I recently got a grant from the Walton Family Foundation to do research, and I'm going to be focusing on over the next couple of months, laying out a series of surveys to ultimately create a set of archetypes of Gen Zers, archetypes that can be used to describe, um, you know, their social views, their political views, religious views, um, interpersonal skills, and really just to create, paint a picture of the different types of Gen Zers. So I know that it's difficult to put people into boxes. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to show that there's more than one Gen Zer, that there are actually a set of different identities that unify Gen Zers based on our past and current experiences. And in terms of, of that, how many people might you be reaching out to to try to assemble these archetypes? So I, every survey that I conduct has, um, I, I conduct with um, 1,000 respondents because I want to make sure that my surveys are statistically significant and I run it through a um, third party, which cr- provides panels and they make sure that the respondents are representative by region, gender, age composition, and um, uh, socioeconomic status. Okay, so that gives you the confidence that you're actually getting closer exactly. to, the, yeah. to to the insights so, yeah, that you yeah. really need. So I'm not just sending it out to my friends and <laughs> coming back and saying I have it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, okay, once 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 these archetypes are in place, what 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 are you going to do with this? And again, is it is it a global um, research program? So you're trying to assemble a view that is relevant globally. Yeah. So right now, I'm just focusing on the United States because I think. You know, the gen, a Gen Zer in um, the U.S. would vary extremely from a Gen Zer in India, for example. Um, so right now, I'm sticking with the United States, but I do think that the archetypes of Gen Zers in the United States um, could definitely be applied to uh, Gen Zers in the Western world, like in Australia, for example. Hmm. So if you were to sort of step back and and give us a bit of a view of of Gen Zers, and again, it's it's a bit hard to put everybody in a in a category in, into a box. But what are the what are the biggest characteristics that you say, and what what are the things that people, um, you know, perhaps my age, you know, the older people, really need to understand about Gen Z? Yeah. So you know, I think that there are, as I said before, there are so many different aspects to the Gen Z identity lab. So I don't think I could, um, you know, adequately describe them all right now. But just to say a couple. I think the first is that we are not afraid to challenge the status quo. So for example, with the Black Lives Matter protests, I don't know if you know about that, but in the United States over the past summer, you know, it was just crazy. And a lot of schools, actually, their students created Instagram accounts exposing teachers um, and staff for different uh, racist incidents. And they, you know, risked retaliation against their school, naming teachers that did things 
um, that were racist and or sexist towards them. And I think that that's just an example of the fact that, you know, the sense of um, authority that a school has, for example, or a government has, for example, you know, Gen Z could respect that can we, we respect that authority, but at the same time, we're not afraid to challenge it. So I think that that is really important to recognize as a start off with. Um, okay. And then, oh yeah. Good, keep go. going. No, go ahead. No. Um, and then I was also going to say another thing that I think is important is I think Gen Z has this carpe diem mindset, this live in the moment mindset. With the coronavirus, it has, you know, obviously impacted the lives of all generations. But I think it's really hit Gen Z at a very formative time because um, many Gen Zers are just graduating from college. The oldest Gen Zers are. So they're entering into the workplace. Um, and many Gen Zers are voters now. Um, and many Gen Zers are in school, in high school right now. So I think that it's a very formative time for us. And the fact that everything that we know and, you know, all these experiences that we were expecting to have like prom and graduation you know they've been taken away from us and obviously that's not um that's nothing comparable to the amount of lives that we are seeing lost by the coronavirus but it is a big impact and i think that we're noticing that we just have to see our dream and just go for it and seize the moment <laughs> does so you know. so with that do, do you just about that, because that's a that's an interesting point. And yes, of course, you know, people losing their lives through the coronavirus is a, you know, incredibly serious and very sad, mm-hmm. um, you know. But that that social cultural sort of element, because I've run into that quite a bit this year about lots of of, of young people who, as you say, haven't been able to graduate, haven't haven't had that experience that they've. You know, they've either seen elder brothers and sisters enjoy, or cousins, or whatever they've, mm-hmm. but and they've looked forward to it. So, and of, and the challenge of working um, from home or doing schooling from home. What what is your view on the impacts that that is going to have on this mm-hmm. particular gen- generation who are dealing with these particular challenges? Yeah. So the first is that I think it's been extremely damaging for mental health. Um, over seventy percent of Gen Zers. Um, in a survey that I conducted in May of 2020, said that they have been depressed, anxious, or both in the past week. And so that, you know, is incredibly concerning on its own. I think taking away the social aspect of going to school has made it, you know, just very difficult for Gen Zers. And I think that even when you go back to school um, with all of the social distancing mandates and mass mandates, which are, you know, I'm not, they're very important, but it does make it just a completely different environment. So I think that the impact that that has is a feeling of social isolation for a lot of people that is contributing to this mental health crisis in Gen Z. But then also on a more positive note, I think Gen Z's um, ability in terms of digital communication has just, you know, improved so much. For instance, I take a speech and debate class and rather than learning the conventional speech and debate um, norms, we are learning how to communicate effectively over Zoom, how to look at someone and make connections with them through a camera, different skills like that, which I think are going to be very important going in to the world, even after the coronavirus has ended, as things move to become more digital, Gen Zers are going to bring those skills to the workplace and, you know, to the to society in general. Mm. So listen, this podcast is 
generally about government. It, well, it is, it is about government yeah. communication and it speaks to a government communication audience both here in Australia and around the world as mm-hmm. we seek to sort of explore um, you know, different parts of the of the challenge and the opportunity. And, and you've just raised a couple of things there, which I think are quite interesting. But perhaps more more broadly to start with, how what should government communicators be thinking of in terms of engagement with Gen Z? How mm-hmm. how is the how, what's the best way to get the message through? Okay, so yeah, I touched on this in the festival, um, and I, I think it's a really interesting topic. So there are a couple of things. First, I think the paramount, most important thing is authenticity. Um, I think, for instance, I watched the um, you know 2020 presidential, Democratic presidential um, debates, and I just was sitting there like, oh my goodness, these speeches, they seem so canned. Like all of the lines just, I, like I can predict what they're going to say next. It sounds <laughs> like they're reading just a bunch of one-liners and it just sounds completely ridiculous. And my friends said the same thing. We were like, okay, well, we're not going to watch the next debate. This is pointless. Um, so yeah, authenticity is incredibly important. Another good example of that is I remember at the celebration, the President Biden had for winning the election. At the end of the night, the song um, A Sky Full of Stars played by Coldplay. And everyone on social media picked up on the fact that that was the late Bo Biden's favorite song and were really touched by that. And so people who were saying settle for Biden were actually celebrating Biden at that time on social media. And, you know, I think Biden's communications have been just fantastic on social media. The merch that his team has come up with is so funny the bernie sanders or not bernie sanders um with the, uh mike pence the fly on his head they made merch jokes out of that it's just it's very effective at garnering the gen z audience okay and in terms of those skills that gen z now has to create and, and distribute content that that they're going to be extremely valuable skills to government aren't they in the, in the coming years in in terms of government being able to effectively explain you know policy program services regulation they're really going to have to lean on uh, gen z because they are the ones who've who've got the understanding as to how these platforms work really work not just you know not just by you know uh, assembling content and just putting it out there yeah Definitely. I think um, we're actually starting to see um, Gen Z activism on social media and, you know, Gen Zers are showing their very good proficient skills in terms of social media. For instance, Um, there have been a lot of accounts that are focused on specific issues, political and social issues um, that make informationals that include some very important aspects in terms of social media posts, like being very shareable, having something very catchy at the beginning, having eye-catching colors, so in very artistic styles. So um, when compared to more formulaic-looking posts, looking like it's just a template, that's not popular anymore. What's popular now is looking like an artist actually um, drew the post on a digital platform. Um, also, if it's informal, if the caption is informal, if the title is informal, then it's more likely to hold the viewer's attention, especially if you're trying to reach people who don't normally care about politics. And it should also provoke some emotion. The It should have some element of you mean, you know, humanity because that makes it very relatable and makes it easy to understand. And I think the Gen Zers are doing that a lot. 
And also what you said about Gen Zers knowing how to use social media to get that message across, not only from a content point of view, um, I think is really interesting because actually people are talking about now how Instagram is no longer the place to you know, grow a small business or share your, your message because the Instagram algorithm makes it very difficult for um, posts to gain you know, large viewership. And actually TikTok now has much greater potential in terms of reaching a broad audience. And so Gen Z does know how to use those different platforms and what's good for what and how to curate that content towards a Gen Z audience. Yeah. So listen, in, in last year's election, the US election, statistics showed that sort of 18 to 29-year-olds appear to have recorded the highest ever recorded votes in the, the modern era of politics. What's your reflection on that? Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, as I said earlier, we are a very passionate generation. And I also mentioned there's been a lot of activism on social media and, you know, actually showing up to protest like the climate protests led by Greta Thunberg. Um, but also I think it's due to easier access to information about voting and about elections in general. Um, I know a lot of celebrities have launched um, social media campaigns around getting people out to vote. I saw a lot of that in the 2020 elections, and I think that that definitely had an impact. Um, and also just, I think this has been a, you know, it's not necessarily a good thing, but I think that everyday issues have been politicized. You know, even some movies get politicized. And so that makes politics a very prominent part of Gen Zers lives. It's no longer a case of, you know, um, international relations and economic policy and, you know, these high, um, difficult to understand intellectual issues. It's like, oh, is the new Captain Marvel movie really that bad? Or are people just anti-feminist? So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, sort of brought this discussion about politics into everyday topics that make politics very relevant and push people to vote more. So where to from here for you and, and the Gen Z Identity Lab? You did mention before that you, you want to do more research. You're, you're building out that archetypes program, but you've got a quite an impressive team around you as well. What, what are they aiming to achieve over the next, say, 12 to 18 months with the Identity Lab? Yeah, so we are using part of the grant that we received from the Walden Family Foundation to um, do the research that I talked about. Also, part of it is going to go to marketing. So we are going to test different marketing strategies over the next couple of months to see where we get the most engagement and to continue um, to broaden that so we can reach more of a Gen Z audience. Because right now, I think the market for, um, you know, I mean, Gen Z founded um, organizations is very saturated, which is a good thing. It means there's, there, that there's a lot of, um, you know, involvement in civic society amongst Gen Z, but it also means it's difficult to differentiate yourself. So the Gen Z Identity Lab offers something that no other organizations started by young people do, which is that we're not just opinion-based. We don't just provide op-eds, which they are important, but they're not the integral part of the Gen Z Identity Lab. The integral part is that we actually have authoritative information about Gen Z. And our goal is to get that information to the people who are making decisions so that they can make more informed decisions um, about Gen Z. So just, again, that probably we circle back to this again, but so getting that message to the people. Now, are you talking about policymakers? You're talking about the polit elected politicians? 
they are they your key target? Is it the is it academics or is it all of those people who really need to understand the work that you're doing? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's like you said, all of those people. But in the past, I've the past couple of months, I've been mainly focusing on um, organizations, nonprofits, and businesses um, because that's just sort of the easiest to reach. And then also reporters to get our message to in the news. Um, it's been difficult to figure out. I tried for a long time to get some of the climate change um, research into the Sydney Morning Herald, and I almost got it there, but then it got stuck in, um, you know, just rounds of editing. But I eventually figured out how to best approach that, and I got some of our research in Forbes and the New York Times. So I'm working on refining that strategy in terms of reaching out to the news. But I do think that one of the um, ultimate goals is to get to elected officials. But I'm just really right now not in a position where I know exactly how to reach them. Okay. So, so how have you been successful with that? What, what, was, your, what was the trick? How are you able to, to succeed with um, the New York Times and Forbes where you weren't able to be successful with the City Morning Herald? Well, so I think that part of it is actually about the timeliness of the article. So mm. I am not an, an established um, name in terms of people recognizing, oh, Anya Dua, the Gen Z at any lab. So that means it's more difficult for me to get to the news. Um, so that means that my climate change article, which was specifically focused around the wildfires and their impacts on Australians, was very difficult because I did have a reporter who was interested, but it was so timely that we just couldn't move fast enough in order to get it published. Mm. So that's why right now I'm focusing on research that's sort of timeless. It doesn't need to be published right now in order to be relevant, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And so are the rest of your team sort of working similarly around the the same uh, projects that you're working on as well? Or do some of them have, have other projects that they're working on? Yeah, so a lot of my team is working right now on doing um, op-ed articles and because I think that that's a really interesting form of content. It sort of personalizes and humanizes the Gen Z at Envy Lab, so I think that that's really important to our operations. We also have people who are working on social media, making posts, and they're actually making the art for the social media posts. As I said earlier, we don't want it to look like it's just a template. Um, and we also have people working on developing marketing plans. And all the while, I'm mainly focusing on the research with um, one or two other people on my team and focusing on outreach. Mm. And I really like the design of the of the Identity Lab um, platform as well. It's it's very very visually um, appealing, very easy on the eye and, and easy to move through and easy to read. Thank you. We had a lot of um, – it, it took a lot of – um, tries to get it to where we wanted it to be. We had a lot of like um, vivid colors at the beginning, like a vivid blue. And then we were like, oh my gosh, we look like a corporation. We need to change this. <laughs> and so we changed it to more muted colors, which is more popular with the Gen Z at Envy Lab. We wanted to give it a little bit of an artistic twist to what we were doing in terms of the illustrations and the logo. And I think that that works a lot better with our brand. It's interesting, isn't it? This whole um, evolving digital space around mm-hmm. communication—you know, the the visual representation, the language, the uh, the timing, the channels—the it's it's constantly evolving and and moving, isn't it? In in terms yeah. of staying on top of it, as the sort of zeitgeist moves, then you have to really find where your place is in that and and move with it. 
Yeah, I think that that's actually incredibly important, especially in why I think the Gen Z Identity Lab is so important and could be such a valuable asset to um, politicians and businesses. And the reason why is because, like you said, trends and, you know, just what's popular and what's clicking with Gen Z, they just change so often. To give an example of TikTok, some of the most popular accounts are so random, like the tenant, like the U.S. Open, um, different airlines. Those are some of the most popular company TikToks, TikTok accounts. And the reason is, is because they have managers who are obviously um, millennials or Gen Zers. And the way that they advertise their product is by using the trends that are most popular on TikTok. And that's just something that you can't understand unless you watch TikTok and you are a young person. And so that's just one example. But I think it's important that to know that just everything is changing. And on that, something that I sort of wanted to mention specifically about um, government is that I think a lot of Gen Zers lack respect for a lot of our government officials because we don't think they have a good understanding of technology and the world. So for instance, um, I was watching the Mark Zuckerberg hearing with the Senate and a senator asked Mark Zuckerberg how his company makes money if they don't charge their users. And Mark Zuckerberg's response was, Senator, we run ads. The senator didn't even know like a simple ad-based model for a business. I'm in high school. And I know what an ad-based model is. You know, it was just, it became a joke on the internet. Similarly, in the CEO of Google's hearing, um, a senator asked him, he held up his iPhone and he said, can you tell me if Google is tracking me right now? Yes or no question. And the Google CEO was like, um, you have to tell me what services are enabled. And the senator was like, no, it's a yes or no question. And it, it just, it was hilarious because he had no idea what was going on. And it is funny, but I think it's also concerning because a lack of understanding of technology has dangers with other countries like China overtaking the United States in terms of their, their cyber arsenals and their AI. And so that's really concerning. But also, I think it's a lack of understanding is really bad because there are so many benefits in which technology could be harnessed to tackle issues like making the healthcare system more equitable and work, you know, faster, because there are a lot of the criticisms of, um, you know, universal health care is that it doesn't, it doesn't work well, it gives health care to people, but the systems are slow, and you have to wait for hours and hours and hours at a hospital. I mean, technology, there are technological solutions to these issues. But a lot of Gen Zers feel like the government just isn't innovative enough to use those solutions and instead are just returning to the same, same old solutions that don't work. Mm. But so what's your advice then, you know, to those who are in power that really, you know, how, how can they best acquire um, the sorts of insights that you're looking for and how, how can they stay on top of it? Yeah, well, I think one way to do that is to um, first rely on gen- research about Gen Z, which the Gen Z at any lab does offer. That's part of what we think is completely integral to understanding Gen Z. But I also think that qualitative Um, data is perhaps sometimes more important than quantitative data, especially in regards to just having conversations. So that's why the Gen Z Identity Lab right now, we are organizing panels of Gen Zers to talk to companies that need advice in terms of, you know, a marketing plan, or if a reporter needs advice, we 
did a panel on for the New York Times in their article on Gen Z and beauty. And I found that those are incredibly helpful because it's a way to gain just real insight through conversation. And I think that that is something that politicians could really use to their advantage by creating small advisory boards of Gen Zers or having regular town hall meetings that are just for Gen Zers. Um, just really anything that shows that they're trying to understand what Gen Zers think. I think that that is in and of itself um, going to make a lot of a difference. Well, Anya, thank you so much for your time today and for your insights and for your wisdom and for your advice, really, on uh, for those of us who are probably a bit older, um, because it's good advice. Uh, and, and, it, and it's challenging, I think, if I speak on behalf of the older generations, just to really stay with it. But again, we all have, well, most, a lot of us have children and, uh, you know, friends and colleagues and other things, so we can stay engaged, but it really is um opening up the aperture and and really getting to know and to understand. And I think that the key word that you hit on a little bit earlier in the conversation was really to have, you know, open, authentic conversations and, and conversations with humility. So if you don't know, you know, you don't know and, and don't be afraid to ask uh, because that's the only way you're going to learn, isn't it? Exactly. I wanted to leave with the thought that I've found a lot of hope through my work with the Gen Z at Envy Lab in that older generations have been extremely eager to talk with us and to learn from us. And I think that that is really, really inspiring because I think that I see a clear path to closing this generational um, gap of understanding and to getting Gen Z's voices out there. Thank you so much for talking to me today. <laughs> no, thank you very much. And uh, audience, there it is, the Gen Z Identity Lab. If you just um, drop that into uh, Google or DuckDuckGo or whichever Bing or whichever search engine that you use, it will come up. And as I say, it's an impressive platform full of impressive young people, none more so than Anya Dua there talking to us from Miami, Florida. And her father is an Australian, so there you go. Isn't that great news? So thanks to Anya. What an impressive young lady. And just in our pre-conversation, um, she was telling us that she's getting hoping to, to go to the wonderful University of Yale to um, study ethics and politics. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to hear a lot more about Anya Dua in the years ahead. And I'm sure that when we run the GovComs Festival again this year, we'll reach out to Anya once again and make sure that she gives another great presentation like she did uh, during the 2020 festival. So thanks very much to Anya. Thanks to you, audience, for coming back once again. That was a great conversation. I know you enjoyed it. I'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.